0: Our guest tonight is Dr. Charles Galdon. He is one of the premier professors at Southeastern University, Go Fire. He pastored a church, a growing church, thousands uh, for probably 30 years. And then God continually blessed him into the educational system. He has been interim pastor in numerous churches. He is well qualified. He has something on his heart to share with you tonight that came right from the throne room of God. I know he prayed. I know he heard from God. I've never heard him speak, but what I did not know, that man has an anointing on his life. Good evening. Good evening. My name is Charles Galden. My wife, Vanessa, is going to read the text. We're going to ask you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Haggai. If you haven't read that book in a long time, you may need to find the index, but I was telling Pastor and Pastor Dan before the service began, that it's been a privilege of mine to travel and speak in the U.S. in different places, and different states. And I'd like to say to the music folks, if they can still hear me, this is one of the greatest music churches I have ever been in in the United States of America. Honestly, it's just so refreshing. My wife and I love the music here. We just can't say enough about all of you wonderful folks and the leaders and the pastor. And I hope the pastor will take care of himself and we pray for his recovery. And we give you a good report from Southeastern. We're over 8,000 students there. The Spirit's moving in the classrooms. A lot of good is happening. And we're very, very thankful for it. My beautiful wife is going to read from the book of Haggai chapter 1, I believe verse 14 and 15. Good evening. Okay, so the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month in the second year of King Darius. And Father, we thank you for the privilege to be here. Lift up our wonderful pastor and his wife. We ask that healing would come to that eye and that you would be with his family, this church. And now as I speak, Father, I literally step back in the Spirit. I ask that the mighty Holy Spirit of God, would stand in front of every man and woman, and even those that are visiting tonight, And that you would impart to their family a stirring of your spirit in Christ's name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. The Bible says that the Spirit of God stirred the governor of the land, he stirred the priest, and he stirred the people. We could say that the political realm, the priestly realm, and the people themselves, that Trinity of groupings was stirred by the Spirit of God in the days of King Darius to rebuild the temple of God. And it was powerful what happens when God stirs our spirit. Paul writing to Timothy, who was a pastor and had been called from his mother's womb to be a minister of the gospel, had been baptized, had been filled with the Holy Spirit, and had pastored a number of years, Paul writes to him and says, stir up the gift that is within you. And God never tells us to stir something up unless we have let something sit too long in our lives. We were taught in physics in high school, if you remember those days, that an object at rest tends to remain at rest. And that is true. If you have not been to the gym in years... If you set your alarm for 30 minutes early to get up and go to the gym, when the alarm sets off 30 minutes early on Monday morning, your mind will tell you 12 to 15 reasons why you can put it off to that afternoon and the next day, etc. How many of you can say, oh, me to that? You know what I'm saying there. An object at rest tends to remain immovable, unstirred. It stays where it is. It says, this is the way I am, when God is saying, I don't want you to stay the way you am. I want you to get out of your situation. I want you to be stirred to accomplish something that you have never accomplished before. And here's the danger of an object at rest in our life. It not only tends to remain at rest, it tends to give wrong instruction. The word of the Lord came, it is time to rebuild, and the people said it's not time and the word of the lord prevailed because the spirit of god took that word and stirred up the governor the priest and the people i have an electronic watch that sometimes i wear and if i sit too long watching television or at the computer and it will eventually say get moving And I get moving and start walking around the house or go outside and walk around, and it comes back on and says, That a boy. And sometimes I think we need a watch that says, Get moving. You're an object that is at rest, and it tends to remain at rest. Here's the good news. An object in motion tends to remain in motion. And once God stirs our spirit, things begin to happen, and the positive builds upon positive, and great things are accomplished in our life. I want to give you three principles of how God stirred their spirit and how God wants to stir everyone of our spirit. Here's the first one, to look up. God instructed them to look up to Him as the source of their strength and the vitality. He will say to them three times, be strong, be strong, be strong. It's interesting that this is the second time they have built the temple. It's interesting if you go back to the first building of the temple, the word of the Lord to Solomon three different occasions was, be strong, be strong, be strong. Why is that? Because when an object is at rest, it needs much more energy to get it out of its resting place and get going. During the space program, and many of you lived in the days when I lived and we saw the landing on the moon. How many of you can admit that you saw the landing on the moon on television live when it occurred? And… We were taught, and it is correct, that it took more energy to get that rocket to escape the earth's atmosphere than the entire rest of the distance to the moon and all the way back. Sometimes we need to hear something more than one time over and over, be strong. My little grandson, his name is Judah. And I took him across the street from where I live. There's a little boy his age, about two and a half, and they have dogs. They're not all that big compared to me, but they're as tall as my little grandson. And as we're at the door, he took me by the hand. He said, as the dogs are there and you can see them, he said, Papa, I scared. And I remember what his father has taught him. He'll say, no, say, I'm strong. I'm strong, I'm strong. And so I got him saying that I'm strong, I'm strong, I'm strong. And I got him so cranked up that when the dogs came, he just pushed them out of the way and went right on in. Well, yesterday, my wife and I went across the street at a different house, and they have two big Rockwilders, and they each are huge dogs, and these dogs weigh at least 150 pounds each, conservatively. And Vanessa and I both turned to each other and said, I scared, I scared. And we both said, Be strong, be strong, be strong. And we need to hear the positive word of the Lord to us that we have His strength, and God wants to do something powerful in our life. When we look up to God, we're looking at a God who has a calculator with keys on His calculator that we know not of. Every cell in our body is more complex than the most Uh, astute and complicated automobile is out in that parking lot. And yet all of those cells, over a trillion cells work together because of the greatness of the God that we serve. I remember January 31st, 1998, I was in India and I saw numerous miracles that time that I'd never seen before. Rajan Chinadira was preaching that night We had a small group show up, and he finished, and he just said, come forward if you would like prayer. Everybody came forward. It was just a small group. We didn't lay hands on anyone. We didn't even know what their needs were. And lo and behold, in that group was a little girl who was nine years old who was born deaf and mute, Her father knew nothing about Jesus except that he heard that Jesus loved people and Jesus did miracles. Now, the Hindu gods do not have a concept of loving people and they don't do miracles. And he and his daughter had waited in that open field 10 to 12 hours till we got there. And with no one laying hands on them or her, the Holy Spirit touched her and she was miraculously made whole there that day. And here's the proof in the miracle. They went back to their village and hundreds of, almost the entire village came out, several hundred people the next night, because they knew that it was a genuine miracle. Today, that girl is either 29, or 30 years old. I've kept up with her a a, a little bit over the years. She still has perfect hearing and the ability to speak. She had to learn to actually form words and speak, but she was miraculously made whole. How many of you know that the God you serve can do what you cannot do, and he is asking us to look up. He will never ask you to do something if he's not willing to put the strength inside of your life. Somebody ought to say amen to that. Not only does God want us to look up, but God sometimes asks us painfully to look within. And he is using here an illustration about the clean and the unclean, and that may kind of pass over us like water on a duck's back to an American Christian. So I want to use an illustration that perhaps you would better grab here. Let's suppose that your neighbor's child is very ill with the flu, and and it's a preschool child, and the child is very contagious, and your preschool child is very healthy, Parent whose child is sick said, Would you bring little Johnny over and let him spend so much time with Robert so that perhaps since Johnny is so healthy, it'll make uh, Robert get well? Well, you would look at her like she had lost her mind. Because the tendency is not for a child who is well to make a contagious child whole. What is the tendency? The child who is contagious with the flu is more likely to do what to the healthy child? To make the healthy child unhealthy. And so he's using an illustration very similar to that. And after they had obeyed the Word and they started building, they were doing the right things outwardly, but inwardly there were some things inside of their life that were not correct that they needed to correct, and that's the illustration that he's basically saying, that just because you're doing something correct does not excuse the other, because to use a modern illustration… You're going to get the flu if you don't deal with this situation that is within your life. And so he says to them, look within. How many of you are like me? You don't like to look within always. You don't always like to see that we have a bad attitude. We need to correct something. We need to improve something. It stings a little bit when we're told. How many of you can agree that your flesh does not like that? It is hard for us, since our great ancestors of Adam and Eve, who once they failed and sinned, they immediately began hiding and making excuses, and unfortunately, that is in our spiritual makeup and DNA. In this year, April of this year, a woman was pulled over by the highway patrol And she was found with possession of marijuana and possession of cocaine. Now, she admitted to the marijuana. She said, yes, that's my marijuana. But that cocaine in my purse, I didn't have the cocaine. I had the window down in my car, and I think it blew into the car and blew into my purse. If the Olympics gave out bronze, silver, and gold medals for Lies or whoppers, how many of you know that would probably do very well this year in the whopper category, gold medal lying? It is just something innate within us to run from our own shortcomings and the inability sometimes to look within and say, if I made an adjustment inside here, what God could do outside here? Many of us are familiar with the marvelous uh, actor Kevin Costner. When Costner first began his career and he suddenly reached great fame, he told the fantastic story of a writer that he promoted that was one of the most talented writers that he had ever known. But the writer had a bad attitude. You couldn't tell him anything. He wouldn't adjust to anything. He knew everything. And he didn't get along with the producers and the directors. And he was always blaming the producers and the directors. How many of you know when a human blames everybody else around them, it's usually they need to make some adjustments themselves? Can you agree with that? And finally, Costner had it with him and he cut him off. He said, I'm not going to recommend you anymore. Don't contact me anymore. I'm finished with you. And so, it took that for that gentleman to look within himself and say, look, my friend, Kevin Costner, can no longer recommend me. Perhaps I am the one that needs to adjust. And he looked in the character mirror, and he saw, yes, I need to adjust. And an idea came for a movie he wrote the script out, he contacted Kevin Costner, and Kevin didn't respond to him for a long time because he he was just put out with him. And finally, the guy begged him, said, I'm begging you to look at this script. Kevin Costner looked at the script. The adjustments were made. It was wonderful. He bought the script, and he made the epic film, Dances with Wolves. And I use that secular illustration for this purpose. Jesus of Nazareth said this to us as the body of Christ. He said, sometimes the sons of this world are wiser than the sons of light. This gentleman was willing to look within, and when he made the adjustments, he created his epic film. I'm wondering tonight how many epic things God is wanting to do in each and every one of us, if we would humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, and in due time, God would exalt us if we would just adjust our attitudes and the things inside of us that need to change. Can you say amen to each other there? We need to look within. We need to look up. But here's the final one, We need to look ahead to what God is wanting to do. When they laid the foundation of this temple, there were older people there, and there were younger people there. The younger people had never seen Solomon's temple. They had no frame of reference. All they could think of was, wow, this is a great day, and they were rejoicing. The poor people who had seen Solomon's temple knew that this temple compared to that one was rinky-dink. Now, I'm a Carolina boy. Do all of you know what I just said there, rinky-dink? Yes. And it was nothing in comparison to the other. And on the day they laid the foundation, guess what happened? The young people are jumping up, being dancing, cymbals alike, And the elderly people are weeping and sobbing. And the Scripture says you almost couldn't hear yourself think because of the convolutedness of the situation there. Hear the word of the Lord of the prophet Haggai. He prophesied the Spirit of the Lord, allowed him to look ahead, and he said, one day this temple will exceed the glory of Solomon's temple, for the gold is mine, says the Lord, and the glory is mine, says the Lord. And little would anyone know that God would use the scoundrel Herod the Great, who because he had helped the Romans and was put in power, the Romans gave him all the tax money on the trade routes. This year, March 2018, the archaeologists discovered the mile markers on all of those trade routes east of Israel, and he collected those funds, and overnight the little nation of Israel became what we would call billionaires. And Herod, who was technically not a Jew, he was an Edomite, and the Jews had not received him, he said to himself, I'm going to get in good with the Jews. I'm going to take this rinky-dink sanctuary, and I'm going to make it the eighth wonder of the world. He tripled the size of it. He put gold in it galore, and it exceeded the Temple of Solomon. In fact, it was said in Herod's day that he who has not seen Herod's temple has not seen a beautiful building. Why? because the gold is mine, says the Lord, and the glory is mine, says the Lord. It was that temple that Jesus of Nazareth would walk into and prophesy over that temple, and he would reveal himself in that temple. And John the apostle would say, and we beheld him, and we beheld the glory as of the only begotten Son of the Father. The gold is mine, and the glory is mine. Why? For God says, I I will shake the nations. And Zechariah tells us how he did it. It would not be by might. It would not be by power. It would be by my spirit, says the Lord. The Spirit of God saw many years into the future, and connected past, present, and future together. You serve a God who knows your past, your present, and your future. And he is saying, if you will look ahead, let your spirit be stirred, I will do what you cannot do in your own self. Can you say amen to that? God has a word from the Lord to you and to your family. How did he say this? Three times, yes, he said, be strong, be strong, be strong. But if you'll go back, he always adds each time, be strong for I am with you be strong, for I am with you. Be strong, for I am with you. It's because the mighty Spirit of God that hovered over the face of the waters, is the same mighty Spirit that is here tonight and wants to hover over your family and do great things. Can you say amen? My wife and I were up in Washington, D.C. We enjoyed all of the monuments. And they were all so tastefully done. If you've not gone, they're all free up there. It's just going to cost you a lot to eat out and (laughs) stay at a hotel. But all the monuments are free. And they did one of Dr. Martin Luther King. The sculptor is very tall, and he's looking off ahead in the distance. And in it is that famous quote right before he died. He said, I may not get there with you, but I have already seen the promised land. His point was that our nation at that time was not where she needed to be, but I believe that the nation will go forward and accomplish great things. God is wanting us not only to look up to him and see his strength and his power and look within and make the adjustments, to look ahead and see what is possible in our life, physically, financially, spiritually, in all parts so that our lives makes a difference for the glory of God. Can you say amen to that? In July of this year, our president awarded a gentleman the Congressional Medal of Honor. I'm always stirred when I see a president present the Medal of Honor to someone, it's always impressive. It always moves me. I always get choked up. I must confess, I still don't understand what football players don't do that, but I, when I love to stand. I put my hand over the heart. How many of you are still like me like that? I, I still am that way. And what I'm about to tell you would make almost everyone in this nation Proud to be an American. Lieutenant Connor, the end of the war almost, it was 1945 and the Battle of the Bulge had occurred. But let me tell you something about this remarkable gentleman. For 28 consecutive months, he was almost on the front lines of battle constantly, virtually without any kind of break. Seven different engagements, he had been severely wounded. And he had been wounded and placed in the hospital. He was the lieutenant in charge of his company of men, and the famous Battle of the Bulge occurred. And he was in a location where five or six hundred German soldiers were advancing toward his company with six tanks. And he was in the hospital and received word, and he knew for certain that every one of his men would perish. I want you to hear what he did. He escaped from the hospital. Everybody said (laughs) escaped. And he went to the front line where his men were, and he was recovering from his wounds. Now, in those days, they did not have wireless communication. So, the radio had to be connected to the wire, and they had a huge reel of cable wire. He hooked the radio up to it, and he ran several hundred yards toward the enemy line, and they were firing at him. He was dodging and weaving. He finally got out in an open field. There was a small ditch there, maybe one foot deep, maybe slightly over that, and he lay down in it, and he was able to touch base with his men. He said, do you know where I'm at? And they said, yes, sir, we do. And by this time, the the enemy was approaching, the tanks were approaching. And he says, you know where I'm at, you bomb where I am located when I command you. They said, no, sir, we cannot do that. He said, this is not an option, this is a command. When I give the signal, you bomb my location. So help me, God, at that command of Lieutenant Connor, the bombs fell all around him. Miraculously, he was not killed. It wiped out the tanks, wiped out the enemy, and saved his men's lives. How many of you would agree someone who would do that deserves the Congressional Medal of Honor? My father was a World War II vet. His brothers were I thank God for that generation and many other generations. I never heard any of that generation brag about what they did. Connor received so many medals, he didn't even apply for the Congressional Medal of Honor. After he died, his nephew said, you know, my uncle deserved the Congressional Medal of Honor, and while there are still witnesses, I'm going to go interview those witnesses, and he did the legwork, and the witnesses said in the entire combat moments that they had seen, and they had seen many acts of bravery, that may be the greatest act of bravery they had ever seen. His wife was there to receive the Congressional Medal of Honor from the president. She told the president a humorous story, that when he came to their town, they had a parade the very first time she met him, she thought he would be six foot four, two hundred and fifty pounds. When they read all of the the accolades and acts of heroism that he had done, instead he was five foot six, weighed about one hundred twenty five, one hundred thirty pounds. But she said she met him, and it wasn't too many weeks down the road that she realized the strength in his spirit was so extraordinary that he was the bravest strongest, biggest man she had ever met in her life. Let me say this to you, God does not measure you by your height, your weight, your prestige, the money in your account. He measures you by how much you are willing to allow your human spirit to be stirred by the mighty power of the Holy Spirit. I've got some marvelous news for you that 2,000 years ago there was a man from Nazareth named Jesus of Nazareth who was stirred to go down into the wilderness and be baptized by his cousin John the Baptist. The scripture tells us in Luke's gospel that as Jesus was praying, the heavens were open. The mighty Spirit of God came upon him and filled him with the Holy Spirit. And God said, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. He didn't go directly home. He went out into the wilderness, into the battlefield, and he fought the evil one for 40 days and 40 nights, and he accomplished victory over the evil one. He returned in the power of the Spirit. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. He healed the blind, the deaf, the mute, the lame, and raised the dead. He was crucified, dead, and buried under Pontius Pilate. But I'm here to tell you the Spirit of the living God raised him from the dead, and that same Holy Spirit will quicken you if you will let him stir your spirit. Jesus of Nazareth went out into the battlefield for you and for me, and he took the artillery of the evil one for our sin, and he gave us his life. For our life. I want to say this to every person in this room. I don't know how much longer I have or you have, but we are without excuse. Let's let the last days of our life count. Can you say amen? That we look up and see that he says, be strong. Be strong. Be strong to look within and make the adjustments and to look ahead, for he is with us. He is with us. He is with us. Can you say? Amen. amen. Now, I pastored too many years to hold you too long because we have a meal afterwards, but how many of you know that if God can heal a little deaf, mute child with no hands laid on him, God could touch you right where you are and do th- extraordinary things. I'm going to turn this over to Pastor Dan in just a minute, but I'm going to ask you all to stand just a minute. And as many as you can, if you desire, I believe God is here. I would like to pray a pastoral blessing over you and just have many of you come on down. And we, I'm telling you, I thank God for this church because I have a word of God for this church. And this is the word of the Lord. And I want you to, I'm submitting this. Because when you hear, come on, if you want to come on down, I'm gonna pray a blessing for you, and then I'm gonna turn it over to Pastor Dan. Come on, let me come on, ask you come on down. I'm gonna pray a blessing over. Here. Here's the word of the Lord to this church: that God is in this church already, but there is coming a fresh move of the Holy Spirit to this county, and it is coming to this congregation. It's going to come to other congregations. It's not going to be an outside the church revival. It's going to be one that you're going to come every day to church or every Sunday to church, and you're going to say, oh my God, something is different in this church. Good people for decades, but my goodness, there is a fresh wind of the Holy Spirit. I submit that to you. I believe that that's more than well-wishing. I believe that God has said that to me and has been saying that to me for a long period of time. God is going to bless this county. There's a great awakening coming to our land. If you've lived in this country for many decades, you've got to be concerned for our land. And we have got to pray, and the only hope is God to stir the political realm, the priestly realm the people realm, just as he did in the days of Haggai. I serve the same God Haggai serves. You serve that same God. Can you say amen? Take the hand of the person next to you, and we're going to pray for this land. Vanessa, do you mind coming here? And we're going to pray, and Pastor Dan, come on. We're just going to, the three of us stand here. Father, we thank you for our pastor We thank you for his beautiful wife. We thank you for this marvelous music team, congregation, all who serve. We thank you for those who are guests with us tonight for the baby dedications. We ask that the mighty Holy Spirit would stir us to look up for your strength when we are afraid, to look within and be brave enough to admit we need to adjust and to look ahead to the remaining years we have that they will be given in courage and strength and vitality to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And now may the Lord bless you and may that anointing be on every family. Can you give God praise now? Hallelujah. Amen.
1: Amen. I believe we heard from God tonight, don't you? You know, if we would just do those three things, we would be well on our way. Just each of those three things, well on our way to becoming the men and women of God that God has called us to be. Amen? Amen. Well, if you're joining us tonight for our newcomer dinner, just we'll slip over to the Family Life Center in just a moment. We're going to have a, word of, a final word of prayer. And again, all newcomers, you're welcome to join us. We'd love to have you. Well, Heavenly Father, we thank you. Thank you for your word. That transforms hearts and lives. And God, today, we pray that that word would be attributed to each one of us. God, work in our hearts. Build up our faith to look up to you. God, do a work inside of our hearts. God, we ask for forgiveness, for cleansing, for humility, for all that we need inside. God, your spirit can do that, and we invite you to transform us inside. And God, help us to look ahead in faith. God, I know, according to the Word of God, you have a plan for each and every one of our lives. God, it's a plan. It's a good plan. It's a plan to prosper us, not to harm us. It's a plan for hope and a future. It's a plan to use our lives to impact a world who so desperately needs to know about the love and the grace and the forgiveness of Jesus. God, use us this week. Give us opportunities, open doors, and let us take and seize those moments. For the glory of God. All the glory belongs to you, God. We thank you and praise you, God. We pray a blessing over the meal that's going to be eaten in the Family Life Center. We pray a blessing over all of our newcomers that are starting to come to victory and make it their home. God, bless them. And God, bless our whole congregation tonight, wherever we go to eat or whatever. God, bless us. Go before us and anoint us. Stir our spirits, we pray, for the glory of God. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said... Amen. Amen. God bless you, everybody. Have a great week.